series of podcasts looking at public attitudes towards the key constitutional and political debates affecting Scotland today. My name's Ian Montague, Senior Researcher at Scotsend Social Research, and together with Alex Scholes, we'll be talking about the big issues surrounding Scotland's constitutional future. And, as ever, we'll be doing so with the help of Sir John Curtis, Senior Research Fellow at NatSen and Scotsend Social Research, Fellow at the ESRC's UK in a Changing Europe programme, and Professor of Politics at Strathclyde University. And today, we're going to be looking at whether three recent polls of referendum vote intention add anything to the weight of evidence that we've already seen over the past few months of an increase in support for independence. We'll also be looking at what we know about voters' views on the new Scottish Conservative leader, Douglas Ross. And we look ahead to what the makeup of Holyrood might be like after the 2021 Scottish Parliament election. So John, one of the big messages that we've seen coming out of the polls recently is that the balance of opinion on the constitutional question might just have shifted over the past couple of months. Now, a lot of that talk has been based pretty heavily on a series of three polls, all of which come from one polling company, and that's panel base. But actually, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some more data added into that mix. And this time it's come from more than just the one source. So the first question, I suppose, is, is does this new data actually corroborate the picture that we've been seeing over the past few months of an increase in support for yes? Well, what we've had during the course of the last two or three weeks are three opinion polls. Um, one of them, again, from panel base, who had been responsible for all of the polling uh, so far that had been conducted since the uh, lockdown back in March. That confirmed, indeed, moved the story yet a little bit further. It did now had support for yes at 55%, which is a record for um, any poll conducted by base or indeed by any polling company recently but perhaps more importantly we've had two other polls from two other polling companies one YouGov um, that did poll during the course of last year and you know which picked up the modest increase in support there was evidence in support for independence during the course of last year um, but now was put, is putting support for independence at 53 percent um, which is certainly a record high for them and then we also, in addition, we had a, uh, another uh, poll from a polling company that's not polled in Scotland for a long time, um, uh, Comres now, Savanta Comres. But you know they add to the weight of evidence because they came in with a 54% yes vote. So basically what one can now say, we've had a half a dozen polls during the course of the summer from June through to August. Uh, they on average have put support for yes at 54%. That compares with a position of a basically yes 50, no 50 in the polls that were conducted in January or February of this year at around the time that the UK finally left the European Union uh, and figures of 49% last year. So it now seems pretty clear that there has been an increase in support for yes. The evidence that yes are ahead as a result is now weightier. And certainly what is interesting is that, frankly, nobody seems to be seriously disputing that there has been a change. Certainly those on the unionist side of the argument are not saying, oh, well, you know, 
um, the only poll that matters is the poll is is the poll that happens on polling day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The kinds of, uh, are the kinds of things that you often hear from a side that uh, is uh, behind in the polls. But rather, we're beginning to see signs of uh, those on the union side of the argument beginning to marshal their arguments, beginning to marshal their forces. Uh, not just the UK government, but also more broadly on the unionist side of the argument in Scottish civic society um, and inside the Labour Party um, uh, to begin to pursue the unionist case. So I think certainly we can presumably now anticipate, although Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister, is still minded to focus on the COVID-19 pandemic, I think we can now anticipate that we're now going to get rather more debate about the merits or otherwise of independence as a result of this recent polling. So the YouGov and the Comrades data then that's come out over the past few weeks, this has essentially given a bit more strength to this conclusion that we were coming to as a result of that earlier series of panel-based polls, that actually support for independence has in fact increased. But one thing that we were seeing in that initial sequence of polls was that whereas most of the swing to yes that we'd seen over the past sort of 18 months or so, that had happened almost exclusively among those who supported remaining in the EU, but actually this more recent shift seems to have happened among both Remain and Leave voters. Now we've been speculating then about what else might be driving this shift and one of the possible factors that we've looked at is whether this is actually linked to people's views on how the coronavirus crisis has been dealt with by on the one hand the Scottish Government and Nicola Sturgeon and on the other hand the UK Government and Boris Johnson. So I suppose you know is this pattern of increased support for independence among both Remain and Leave voters in evidence again in the three latest polls? And if so, do they tell us anything more about what else might be going on? Well, all three polls, panel-based poll, Commonwealth poll, and the most recent YouGov poll, um, all give us further evidence as to what extent support for independence has risen in recent months, both amongst Remain and Leave voters separately. Short answer seems to be that they all confirm uh, what had already appeared to be the case in panel bases earlier polling, that in contrast to the position last year when all the increase in support for yes was occurring amongst those on the Remain side, that this latest increase has occurred amongst both Remain and Leave voters. Indeed, if we take all of the polls from March onwards, from panel base, YouGov and Comrades, where the breakdown is available, we're now looking at 60% support for yes amongst Remain voters on average, that's up from 56% at the in the polls at the beginning of this year. But equally, amongst Leave voters, yes, the level of support at 36% is much lower. But that is also up. It's up on the 30% figure um, that was evident in the polls at the beginning of this year. So, um, you know, in both cases, the rise in support is relatively modest. But of course, given we were starting from a 50-50 baseline, it didn't need to be very much um, in order to put the yes side ahead. Uh, but that increase basically from 50% to 54% is more or less equally present amongst both Remain and Leave voters. So therefore, uh, the argument that we've been making that this latest increase in support doesn't seem to be simply being engendered by Brexit still seems to be sustained. Now, of course, then the question is, however, well, but can we tie this more uh, specifically to uh, the handling of coronavirus. Well, certainly YouGov uh, added to the weight of evidence that one, um, the public have much more confidence in Nicola Sturgeon's handling of coronavirus than they evaluate Boris Johnson's handling. The same thing is true if you ask about the Scottish government and the UK government. 
it's also clear from you guys podium because some they ask a, a question that they repeated uh, a question they previously asked in April that evaluations of the UK government's handling have gone down whereas those of the Scottish government have more or less uh, held steady and they also that, that, that polling also shows that you know this gap um, uh, is evident not just amongst those who voted yes and those who voted remain but those who voted leave and those who voted no uh, evaluate Nicola Sturgeon more highly and the Scottish government more highly than they do Boris Johnson and uh, the UK government so all of that uh, of a piece is all is there what YouGov add uh, to that evidence um, uniquely is that they also asked a question about whether or not people felt that coronavirus would have been handled more effectively if Scotland were an independent country. Now, amongst voters as a whole, the answer is pretty clear. But I mean, around amongst those who, who say either better or worse, something like two to one in favour, just over 40% of people think it would be better, around one in five think it would be worse. But the crucial thing is to look at the views of yes and no voters back in 2014. Now, unsurprisingly, yes voters are overwhelming of the view uh, that either things would, be, would have been better or they certainly would have been worse. And only 4% of them say, actually, you know what, actually, I think maybe it would have been handled worse. Amongst no voters, in contrast, yes, many people say it would have been worse. But crucially, 20% of those who voted no in 2014 say, actually, I think that coronavirus would have been handled better if Scotland were independent. And the crucial contrast there is with the 4% amongst yes voters who think that things would have been worse under independence and the 20% amongst no voters who think it would have been better. In other words, it's pretty clear that um, coronavirus and the perceived handling of it has apparently helped to persuade some no voters that maybe actually Scotland could govern itself more effectively um, uh, whereas there's not any evidence at all that it's raised doubts in the minds of yes voters uh, that maybe actually this would have been a rather difficult pill uh, for Scotland to swallow and to manage if it were an independent country. So I think you know, that's a further piece of evidence that suggests indeed that these perceptions um, have helped at least to persuade some of those who hitherto were not necessarily convinced um, of the merits of independence that um, it is uh, that's, uh, uh, that perhaps Scotland should become an independent country uh, but I think as we've already just said I think crucial thing now to realize however is that you know most of this shift has occurred when the, pu the uh, public's attention has been on Covid on coronavirus it's not been in a debate about independence what will now be interesting will be to see what happens to attitudes now it looks as though those on the unionist side of the argument at least are indeed going to start arguing that actually this is not the case and whether or not in the wake of that um, they managed to shift public opinion back at all but certainly what's pretty clear uh, from this evidence is that coronavirus has helped to put for the time being at least the unionist side uh, even further on the back foot than it was already. Okay, so with this in mind then, and you know, with some possible hints of, of mobilisation on the unionist side of the debate that we've just touched on there, I suppose that naturally gets us thinking really about what people might think about, firstly, whether there should be a second independence referendum, and secondly, the timing of any potential vote. So obviously over the years, we've consistently seen the people's perspective on this, unsurprisingly, 
is really tied up with whether they actually support or oppose independence. So what do we know about the distribution of views on this? And is there anything different in the pattern this time around? Yeah, you have asked um, quite a lot of detailed questioning. Um, the the headlines are, of that polling is now a fairly clear plurality who believe that there should be a referendum at some point in the last five years, a plurality against holding a referendum if there isn't a um, independence majority in Holyrood, including, by the way, even if um, there's an SNP plus Green majority, but not an SNP majority on its own. Um, the level of support for having a referendum in the next five years has gone up from the position during the course of last year. Now, none of this, frankly, is terribly surprising. Basically, um, yes, voters think that there should be a referendum. No voters tend to think that there shouldn't be. There are now rather more yes voters than there once were, so it's not surprising that YouGov have found that you know, support for holding a referendum in the next five years uh, has gone up. But perhaps uh, arguably the crucial bit of YouGov's poll was another question in which they asked people whether or not there should be a referendum if the SNP on their own win a majority uh, at the next Holyrood um, uh, election, uh, which is due to take place next May. Now, it was quite narrow. It was only 44% saying there should, 41% saying there shouldn't. But, you know, uh, interestingly, we do, according to this poll, maybe you know, at least as many people now think that there should be a referendum if there is a, a, a win for the SNP uh, next year as, as don't. Um, and to that extent, at least, you know, that together with the evidence of you know, how people respond when there should be a, well, there should be a, a referendum in the, in the next five years, does now make it, shall we say, rather more difficult for those on the unionist side of the argument simply to claim that, look, it's perfectly obvious that a majority of uh, people in Scotland don't want a referendum. I think that's something they could argue on the polling evidence at the time of the 2017 general election. Um, but uh, that has that, that position has been getting weaker as support for yes has been going up. And now it looks rather weaker too. What of course is true is that those who don't want Scotland to leave the United Kingdom certainly still don't want a referendum, certainly are still of the view that there shouldn't be a referendum even if the SNP win a majority next year. But those on the yes side are now very clearly of the view that there should be. Um, and that does, I think, you know, therefore add to the pressure uh, that, you know, the outcome of next uh, year's Hollywood election in which we are anticipating that the SNP will say we want another referendum full stop. Um, uh, that um, if they were to win an overall majority, then that will raise the stakes. and if the polls stay as they are, will make it somewhat more difficult for the UK government to say no to a, another referendum. Now, Alex has just joined us and he's got a couple of questions. First of all, on a key change at the top of the Scottish Conservative Party. And secondly, about what we might know if anything, about the likely picture at Holyrood after next year's election. Alex? Yeah, thank you, Ian. Hello, John. Uh, many of the polls that have been tracking attitudes about Scottish independence have also been tracking voting intentions for the Scottish Parliament elections next year. 
So based on this latest polling, what can we expect the composition of the Scottish Parliament to look like after next year's election? Well, the, the truth is that, um, I mean, both YouGov and Comres, they're not a panel base again, um, have uh, been asking how people they vote in the Scottish Parliament election. Um, they both have the SNP well over 50%, at least on the constituency vote, somewhat different on the regional vote, but polling of the regional vote is often much more difficult. Some people are inclined to give a second preference in response to that question because people still sometimes get confused about the voting system. But certainly on the, on the constituency vote, SNP over 50%, and therefore this polling pointing towards the SNP getting uh, potentially an overall majority um, on their own. What this polling also does, however, is also, I think, perhaps uh, point out the strategic dilemma that faces the UK government, because um, we've seen a, a lot of talk on the Conservative side of the argument saying, look, you know, you're going to have to vote um, uh, for the Conservatives um, and, uh, we're, uh, and we're going to be, uh, we are the principal challenges to the SNP, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, actually, um, what you discover if you look at the opinion polls recently is actually the Conservative Party is, in this polling, doing more or less as well as it did back in the 2017 Scottish Parliament election. Comrades had them slightly above, you have slightly below. Um, and that therefore it's not clear that the Conservative Party is going to do particularly badly in this election, not as well as they did in 2017, but certainly perhaps as well as in 2016 and in 2019, which does therefore then raise the question, well, hang on, if the Conservative Party is still going to be doing more or less as well, or might do as well as they did uh, back in 2016, but the SNP are still apparently heading for an overall majority, what's missing? Well, what's missing, of course, is the ability of the Labour Party to replicate its vote, nothing, you know, not good, third back in 2016, little more than a fifth of the vote, but it's the decline of Labour support, running on average at around 15, 16%, that is actually opening the pathway for uh, the uh, SNP uh, to be doing well. It's also clear from you guys polling that a you know, quite a few of the people who voted for Labour back in uh, last December's general election are now saying they're going to vote for the SNP um, for Holyrood. And I think, you know, this points out a strategic dilemma for the UK government. It's probably true that it's going to be difficult for the Conservative Party to do much better than they did in 2016. Not least of the reasons for this is that in contrast to position in 2016, the Conservative Party in Scotland is now very heavily dependent on the support of those who voted Leave, amongst whom indeed it's, uh, it, it's very popular, it's getting around two-fifths of the Leave vote. But that, of course, is a niche market north of the border. You know, no more than one in three uh, people uh, think that Scotland should be leaving the European Union. In contrast, uh, the Labour Party um, is uh, able to win over the support of uh, Remain voters. The Labour Party certainly does seem to be able not only to lose votes to the SNP, but also occasionally to pick them up from the SNP. Voters seem to be much more likely to swither between those two groups. And the irony of the situation, therefore, is that probably if Boris Johnson is going to avoid the nightmare against which the Conservatives now seem to be, now seem determined to try to avoid, which is the SNP indeed winning an overall majority next May and therefore claiming 
that they have a right, they have, should now be allowed to hold a referendum, is that actually Boris Johnson needs the Labour Party to revive at least to a degree north of the border. But of course, that's something over which Boris Johnson has no control. And I doubt if uh, either Boris Johnson or the new Scottish Conservative leader, Douglas Ross, would ever admit that that, that probably is indeed uh, the, the position in which they find themselves. Yeah, you've just mentioned there the change in personnel in the Scottish Conservative Party with Douglas Ross, you know, replacing Jackson Carlaw as party leader, while Ruth Davidson acts as an interim. Has there been any polling about what voters in Scotland think about Douglas Ross? Uh, yes, yeah, surprisingly there has. YouGov were incredibly quick on the mark because the poll was conducted literally within days of Douglas Ross becoming uh, the Conservative leader. Um, answer number one to you is that unsurprisingly, um, around a half of people said, um, don't know whether or not Douglas Ross will make a good or a bad leader. Um, and to that extent, at least, he finds himself in exactly the same position that Jackson Carlow was in um, before he resigned as Scottish Conservative leader, because in his case, too, a half of people only been leader for six months also said they didn't know how well or badly Jackson Carlow was doing. Um, and certainly what's true is that Douglas Ross does not have the get the... Um, uh, reach into the Scottish electorate that Ruth Davidson, who is now going to become the interim parliamentary leader of the party at Holyrood, has. Again, YouGov asked about her, and yes, sure, she's relatively, not only re re relatively well-known, but also relatively popular. Um, and, and amongst those, you know, frankly, amongst those who did um, express a view about Douglas Ross, uh, nearly twice as many said they thought he was going to make a bad leader than a good one. Now, of course, many of those are people who probably would never vote Conservative in the first place. So shall we say uh, Douglas Ross starts effectively with a blank sheet. He doesn't start off in any better position than Jackson Carlaw left uh, the Scottish Conservative leadership. But of course, he is I think basically a new kid on the block for most people outside at least his immediate constituency um, uh, up in Murray and so we have to wait and see what he does and in the meantime um, uh, Ruth Davidson is there to give the party a, a bit more in the way of reach but I think you know one should bear in mind here that you know whether or not Douglas Ross can make a great deal of difference you know we could debate about I mean uh, just look at the fate of Ruth Davidson Ruth Davidson yes managed to uh, lead the scottish conservatives to the highest share of the vote back in 2017 uh, in the westminster election of that year but actually that increase in support what it incurred amongst leave voters which was not the side of the brexit argument that ruth davidson had been campaigning for and it's not entirely clear that the success of the conservatives in 2017 occurred because of uh, uh, ruth davidson but rather despite her and at the end of the day the fact that Boris Johnson is A, the architect of Brexit in many voters' eyes, and B, for the time being at least, the person who is not thought to have uh, handled coronavirus very well. Now that is an impression that could well weigh down on the Scottish Conservatives, um, irrespective of how well or badly uh, Douglas Ross manages to impress himself on the Scottish public uh, during the course of the uh, winter to come. So 
Before we go, as always, we'd like to thank the ESRC and especially their UK in a changing Europe programme who promote high quality, independent research into the constitutional future of the UK and its relationship with the EU and who fund the work that we do here at What Scotland Thinks and at What UK Thinks too. And their website is a really, really great source of information, not just on the issues that we cover, but you can access a real wealth of high quality research that goes well beyond the realm of public opinion. So please do head to ukandeu.ac.uk and have a look around if you'd like to dig a little deeper into any aspect of Brexit that you might be particularly interested in. To access some of the data that we've been discussing today, please do head to whatscotlandthinks.org and explore the comprehensive collection of publicly available polling data that we have on there. You can see how public attitudes to all sorts of aspects of the constitutional debate, not just in Scotland, but also in England and Wales, have changed over time. And you can view our in-depth analysis of how people feel Scotland should be governed and how this interacts with attitudes towards other key policy questions. And finally, thank you to John. Thanks again to Alex and goodbye from all of us.